Okay, let's turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3. We went through verse 9 last week, but we're going to start again in verse 9 and just pick up a couple of extra things before we move on to verse 10. Lord willing, getting all the way through to verse 14. Let's read those verses, 9 through 14, 1 John chapter 3. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, God's seed, and he cannot sin that person who is born of God because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Let's pray. Father, John's getting into some pretty deep water here. Help us to put on our water wings. Help us to be able to receive that which the Holy Spirit would speak to us today. Lord, help us to be open-hearted, open-minded, teachable, not easily offended, moldable, shapeable. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we left off with whoever has been born of God does not sin. And we talked about this last week. We're not talking about perfection in this life. That will not happen until we see Jesus face to face. Talking about lifestyles. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Not willfully, not knowingly, not habitually, not regularly. Although we do, unfortunately, still sin because we have not yet been perfected. Those in the world who see a believer fall, unfortunately they see that a lot, it happens, and then get back up again, which is what we should do, the enemy would like us to stay down and out. God wants us to confess, repent, let him pick us up and keep moving forward. But the world, when they see that happen, they tend to label that person as a fake, a phony, and a hypocrite. Have you ever heard that one? They have this mistaken idea that people who are followers of Christ are now claiming perfection in this life when we are not. We are claiming simply to be sinners saved by grace, washed in the blood of the Lamb. In fact, when a believer falls and then gets back up again, that's exactly what we are supposed to be doing. That's what our new nature in Christ dictates. You've heard that old expression, I've fallen and I can't get up? Well, those who have fallen and can't get up or won't get up are most likely in that place because they were never, they re never really knew God in the first place. I was reminded of this passage in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine writes or says Jesus, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, or one Translation says, puts them into practice. Just like we're reading here in 1 John, not practicing sin, but practicing righteousness. And we talked about this. You get good at something by practicing it. Some people have, have noted a bit of concern over the terminology medical practice. Really, my doctor's just practicing? <laughs> but it's a term, right? 
means you do it regularly. And the more you do it, the better you get. Anything in life is that way. So if you go into the office and you find out you're um, at the hands of an intern or, a, you know, a newbie, sometimes you get a little nervous, but, you know, more than likely things will be okay. <laughs> Everyone has to learn and to grow, and that includes Christians. We have to learn and grow and get better at being a Christian. Whoever hears these things of mine and does them, in other words, you're not... You know, in the book of James, it says, be ye a doer of the word and not a hearer only. He says, Jesus says, I will liken him, that person who hears my words and then puts them into practice. I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came. How many of us know that rain's going to come, floods are going to come in life? Emotionally, physically, spiritually, Right? It's not always going to be sunshiny and warm and calm. There's going to be floods. There's going to be storms. Uh, The floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall. That's hopefully how it should be, right? The house should be built in such a way that it can withstand the storms of life. This house, our house, the house of God, the house of the Holy Spirit. For it was founded on the rock, and that is whom? Jesus. He is the rock, the truth. Keep in mind, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is saying that we need to build our lives on the firm foundation of him and his truth, which has been revealed to us in the Holy Scriptures. It's not built on good works. All of our good works are like filthy rags in God's sight, the Bible tells us. It's not built on positive thinking, like a Christian science or Scientology or something like that, where Norman Vincent Peale, the power of positive thinking, it's built upon the truth of God's Word and the person of Jesus Christ. Not built on good feelings either, because good feelings come and go, do they not? Have you experienced in perhaps one day where you felt good, then you didn't feel good, then you did feel good again? Yeah? Gee, I was feeling pretty good earlier. I wonder what happened. Could be emotional, could be physical, spiritual. Our homes, our houses, our spiritual houses are not built on good feelings, warm, fuzzy feelings, or any of that other stuff that I mentioned. They are to be built upon the rock, the Word of God, and not just hearing it, but doing it. Then he goes on. 26, everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them I will guarantee you more people today have heard the Word of God than ever before. Through the Internet, through YouTube, we have our YouTube channel, Internet streaming, TV, cable TV, satellite TV, you name it. Radio, books, DVDs. Once upon a time it was cassettes for those of you who remember those. Even perhaps vinyl, which has made a big comeback by the way. There's nothing like the warmth of a vinyl record transmitted through a very small, sensitive needle. (laughs) And then ideally being pumped out through a (laughs) tube-powered amplifier. Anyway, I digress. Everyone who hears of these sayings of mine and does not do them We've talked last week, I believe it was, about the Gnostics. 
You can talk about the emergent church, the seeker-friendly church, the purpose-driven church, uh, the Word of Faith movement. And a lot of this has to do not with obeying the truth of God's Word. Some of it has to do with changing the truth of God's Word to fit your scenario. Some of it has to do with, oh, you don't really have to follow that. It's not all really relevant to today. It doesn't really apply in our circumstances. We're postmodern. But it's very clear, very plain, very simple. Everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. So it's not about God's mean, God's mad, God's punishing you. You got to do this and you got to do that. No, God's trying to make us wise. God's trying to give us a happy, healthy life here on earth in preparation for an amazing life in eternity with Him. The foolish man who built his house on the sand. God's just saying, don't be a dummy. Obey my word, it's good for you. You will prosper, you will do well if you obey me. So both of these guys are building a house. One is hearing the word of God and doing it. One is hearing it, but he's not doing it. Both men are building a house and outwardly, they look about the same, right? What's the difference between a house built on a firm foundation and one built on a shaky foundation? Nothing at first until the shaky foundation starts to give way. At one point, my wife and I were looking at some houses out in Algodones. How many of you know where Algodones is? They built a really cool neighborhood out there right off to the right of the freeways or going north. And one time they had wild horses roaming through there and they put a fence around you know they, they took paradise and put up a par parking lot no not really but but you know what happened with those houses they weren't the, the soil wasn't properly prepared and all these beautiful homes all the foundations the floors started cracking and separating and they beca became unusable unlivable all that money was wasted because they didn't lay the proper it also happened down in Las Lunas. There's a neighborhood right off of the freeway down there. Same thing. Beautiful homes. Foundation starts giving way. Walls start cracking. Wasted. Useless. All because somebody thought they knew better. Oh, we don't need to do that. We don't need to properly prepare the soil, tamp it down, make sure that it's firm. And there are people like that, spiritually speaking. Oh, yeah, I've, I've read that part of the Bible. I don't know. I just don't really think that's relevant or important for me. So at the end of this little teaching or parable that Jesus gives, the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority not as the scribes. The people were amazed because Jesus didn't teach, listen to this, a watered-down, wimpy, wishy-washy message. He told them the truth, the whole truth, and the nothing but the truth, so help him him. You get that? <laughs> and that's what John's doing here. As Jesus got closer and closer to the end of his earthly ministry, his teachings became stronger and stronger, and many people began to turn away and did not follow him anymore. We're seeing the same thing here in 1 John. He starts out telling us about the eyewitness testimony, 
That which we have seen, that which we have heard, that which our hands have touched, we declare unto you that we might have fellowship with the Father even as the apostles had fellowship with him through Jesus Christ and so on. Wonderful, one of my favorite verses, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But now as we get into chapter 3, he's starting to go pretty deep here. And it's challenging to us because it's not necessarily all that comfortable. And yet we must receive it. Here in verse 10, he gets very politically incorrect or spiritually incorrect, if you will. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Well, who gave you the right to say somebody is a child of the devil? God. <laughs> God anointed John. God empowered John. God gave John his message. And John's clearly telling us there's children of God and children of the devil. Most people in the world today and in the church would probably tell us that it's wrong and, in fact, impossible for any human being to determine the spiritual condition of another human being. And again, when push comes to shove, only God truly knows someone's heart. They would tell you, hey, judge not lest ye also be judged. But John appears to believe otherwise. He says, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest, or one translation reads like this, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. So John tells us we can know. Of course, the important thing is make sure you're looking in the mirror also. The entire human race can be broken down not into multi-ethnic groups. And I love Ken Ham. How many of you know Ken Ham? You know, the uh, Answers in Genesis, the Creation Museum, the Noah's Ark. Don't we all want to go there and see that? We should have a group trip, a church trip to the Noah's Ark and Creation. I've been to the Creation Museum twice. It's amazing. I've not gotten to go to the Ark yet. But Ken Ham, boy, I wish I'd have learned this growing up as a kid. They were still teaching in school the three major racial groups, you know, Caucasian or Caucasoid, Mongoloid, which would be the Asian Native American group, and then the uh, Negroid, the um, black members of our world. But Ken Ham tells it right, tells it like it is. There's only one race. We all came from Adam and Eve. We've just, in different parts of the world, different DNA has emerged, created these different, what we call ethnicities. There's just one race, the human race. But within that human race, we can break it down into two families. God's family, the devil's family. Bob Dylan, got to serve somebody, maybe the devil, maybe the Lord. No other options. No other choices. No other options. So he says, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Not good works for salvation. Uh, you could translate it this way. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. Righteousness. Practicing righteousness as we've been learning. But again, this is... You might say, well, I thought we weren't saved by good works. We're not. But good works should follow those who believe. Not good works for salvation, good works because of salvation, because that's the evidence and the fruit that we are truly born again. Now, of course, non-believers have been known to do what is right on occasion. <laughs> In fact, sadly, sometimes from the outward appearance, it seems like they might be doing more right than we are. 
But true righteousness, godly righteousness, is doing what is right for the right reason. That's what counts. A lot of people do the right thing for the wrong reason. Often it's for their own personal recognition. It could even be for their own personal gain. There's a certain segment of our society today that's so confused, whereas they once tried to do the right thing for the wrong reason, they're now doing the wrong thing for the wrong reason. These radical, liberal, whacked-out people who delight in taking the life of an unborn baby. And they claim it's for the protection of the mother, for a woman's health. You know, women have died having abortions, you know that? I guess that didn't work out too well for women's health, did it? Women's reproductive organs are damaged, sometimes permanently. They can't have children. I guess that didn't work out too well for a woman's health, did it? Georgia, did you hear about Georgia? Passing the heartbeat law? I love it. I love it. And the, the children of the devil hate it. Because I've told you this before, it's so simple. Let's break it down. God loves to break it down. He likes to keep it simple because we're simple, right? Whoever is of God is pro-life. Because he's the only one. He's the author of life. He's the only one who has the authority to give it and to take it, right? Now, he does impart that authority to human beings if we follow his word. If someone takes a life according to the scriptures... The payment should be their own life. It's called capital punishment. There are some times when uh, we are called upon, World War I, World War II, when humanity's at stake and lives must be protected. Unfortunately, you may have to take a life to save other lives. When it says in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, what it means is thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not take another life without just cause. But outside of those parameters, God gives life and God takes life and nobody else has a right to do that. And I've been especially stirred up this week because there's been a lot of stuff like this on the news and all this, you know, Alyssa Milano and her little strike. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, I bet that's not getting a lot of traction, I suspect. But they keep talking about taking away a woman's reproductive rights. Every woman has every right to reproduce. The, a woman's choice. You know what? Women can choose not to have relations outside of marriage. They can choose that. Many times they don't. But you don't have a choice to kill the baby that's a result of that. It's not the baby's fault. It's your fault. Take responsibility. They don't want to do that. They want to blame everybody else and everything else. They want to live any kind of a sleazy, slutty, promiscuous life that they choose to live and then take it out on the baby by killing it. That's ridiculous. And God ain't going to put up with it for much longer. I'm telling you that right now. But let's not be... We talked a couple of weeks ago about common sense, logic, reason, rationality. Where is it? It's hard to find out there, folks. I'll say it again. I've said it many times. We are now living in the age of insanity. Because sanity and rationality and reason and logic go
go hand in hand. They won't admit they made a bad choice. You know, pro-choice, woman's right to choose, reproductive rights. It's kind of like you have the right to remain silent because anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to not get pregnant when you're not married. Get it? It's sad because we've got several generations of young women now who've never been taught this. They don't know. I don't fault them. They don't know any better because they haven't been taught. You look at all the single young moms running around out there. They've been taught it's perfectly normal. In fact, it's probably even better. You don't need some idiot dad around messing things up. And for a lot of these young girls, having a baby is just like getting a puppy. That's all it is. It's just a toy. It's a plaything. Something to satisfy you. That's not what parenthood is all about. And it's our fault. It's our generation. Many of us here today. Sorry. It's crazy out there. Doing the right thing for the right reason. There's no right reason to kill an unborn baby. There's no right reason to kill a baby at the moment of birth. Right? Third trimester. There's no right reason. That's the wrong thing for the wrong reason. There is no right reason. However, even if you're doing the right thing, according to God, it needs to be for the right reason. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You can't abort a baby to the glory of God, can you? And there's a lot of... You can't have an affair to the glory of God. Can't commit adultery to the glory of God. So many things you can't do to the glory of God. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, even your words, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Doing the right things for the right reason. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do it heartily. Do it with some enthusiasm, some gusto, some vigor. Give it your all. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. And this is where so many people get tripped up. It's where so many believers get tripped up and get offended and get hurt and leave the church and maybe never go back again. Or maybe they go to another church and they get hurt again because you are doing what you're doing so that others will notice you and give you whatever, accolades, attention, respect. The Bible says we don't do it for men. We do it for God. Therefore, if nobody notices, if nobody recognizes it, we're fine. Because we're doing the right thing for the right reason. This is a biggie. This is a biggie, folks. Take a hold of this. Look at Jesus. All the great things he did, the miracles, the healing, the casting out of demons, the raising from the dead. And what does he get for it? Crucifixion. So do you really think that you should expect for people to honor you and recognize you and reward you for the things you do for God? When they, when they do, it's just kind of frosting on the cake, but man, if that's your motivation, you're dead in the water. It's got to be for God. I guarantee you that's why I'm still here after 30 years. It's, it's for God. If it were not, I would have been long gone. Nor is he who does not love his brother. 
Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So two key things here. Practicing righteousness. Not going to be perfect at first. Not going to be perfect until we see Jesus, but we're practicing. We're trying to get better at being righteous, doing the right thing for the right reason. And the other key ingredient, according to John, is loving your brother. So, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, not of God, period. Nor is he who does not love his brother. Now, there's a lot of eros and phileo running around out there. Eros is erotic, sensual love. Phileo is brotherly love. That's nothing wrong with brotherly love. Eros is okay if it's in a marriage between a man and a woman. But this is agape. He who does not agape his brother, unconditional love, like the love Christ displayed for us on the cross. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. John 13, 34, a new commandment. Jesus says, I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. That's what makes the commandment new. You can actually find it in the Old Testament as well, but what makes it new is Jesus said, you need to love one another as I have loved you. How did he love us? He laid down his life, right? That you also love one another. Self-sacrificing, selfless love. John 13, 35, by this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And again, that's why so many times people look at believers and they're skeptical. Again, even if we were perfect, they would be mocking us and be skeptical. But we add fuel to the fire when we don't put a priority on loving one another. What did Peter write? First Peter, we read this a while back. Above all, love one another fervently, for love covers over the multitude of sins. Not the way Jesus' blood washes our sins and cleanses them, but all of us have shortcomings, failures, imperfections, and when we love one another, we can cover those over. Rather than becoming offended, we cover one another with that agape love. Verse 11, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. The beginning of what? First of all, from the beginning of their conversion. They were being taught as newborn baby Christians and going all the way back to the earthly ministry of Christ. We just read this verse. I'm going to read it again. John 13, 34. A new commandment, Jesus says, I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So from the beginning, you've heard this from the beginning. This was the message of Christ, the message of the apostles. We should love one another. And by the way, John is being gracious when he says should. What he really means is, if we want to identify ourselves as true believers, as children of God, then, then we must. The other beginning here would be from the beginning of God's relationship with man. Going all the way back to Leviticus 19.18. You shall not take vengeance. I guess a lot of us maybe thought vengeance was okay in the Old Testament, just not the New Testament. They had the blood avengers. If someone took the life of a family member or friend, someone close to you, they would appoint someone from the family as a blood avenger to go and avenge the blood of that person by taking their life. But if that person would flee and grab onto the horns of the altar in the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, 
then they could plead their case. And it might have been involuntary manslaughter. It might have something along those lines. But if the blood of injury caught up with them before they got there, it's over. Leviticus 19.18, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So from the beginning, there's never been a time in the history of creation where God has said it's okay to hate, other than to hate what he hates. God hates sin. He doesn't hate sinners. He proved it when he sent Jesus to the cross. But he does hate sin. We read it before. I think it's coming up here again in my notes, Proverbs 6, 16 through 18. We'll read that in a moment. Verse 12. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. How do we know Cain belonged to the evil one? John says we can tell who the children of God are. We can tell who the children of the devil are. God is the God of life. And I, I didn't finish the statement earlier. You can tell very easily. It's so simple. God is pro-life. The devil is pro-death. He comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So if you're of God, and I'm, not, I'm using this in a broader sense. I'm not just talking about abortion, but it certainly is a very important issue, is it not? Did you know, okay, here's an interesting fact, several interesting facts for you. You may already know this. Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, was a eugenicist, which means she believed in eradicating what she considered to be inferior ethnic groups. Her number one target in establishing Planned Parenthood was to eradicate black people in America. That's a fact. Look it up. You don't have to take my word for it. It's a fact. The black population in America represents 7% of our overall population, but 40% of the aborted babies are black. I think Margaret Sanger's getting her way, don't you? A little example for you. They now do a test uh, for women who are pregnant to tell them whether they think their baby might be down syndrome. How many of you know about that? The idea being to discourage them from having the baby, to encourage them to get an abortion. They're trying to pass a law now that would make that illegal to abort a baby just on the basis of a potential disability. By the way, I believe my last two grandsons that my daughter has brought forth, she told, was told both times that they might be down syndrome. She didn't get an abortion. They're both just fine. Thank you very much. I'm beginning to wonder if they just don't tell every woman that. Well, it might be Down syndrome now. You might not want to keep it. God is pro-life. Satan is pro-death. God proved it by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. And there's a perfect example of what I've been talking about. In order for us to live, Jesus had to die. But good news, he rose from the dead. Don't be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. How do we know Cain belonged to the evil one? By his actions. In Jude 1.11, Jude says, Woe to them, those deceivers, those false teachers, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They've run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. 
You see, whether we literally kill our brother or sister or we verbally destroy them through criticism or gossip or slander or backbiting, we talked about this several weeks ago as well. There's many ways to kill someone besides physically. You know that, right? You can kill them. You can destroy them emotionally, mentally. You can beat them down. There's been a lot of that that's gone on. Convince them that they're worthless, they're no good. They might as well just hang it up. Or you can destroy their reputation through gossip and slander and so forth. And boy, you know what? With the social media we have today, oh man, that has opened the floodgates. You can totally destroy someone online and there's not a darn thing they can do about it. That's one of the things Pastor Ed was alluding to when he asked you to pray for our school. You get a couple of disgruntled parents, they immediately jump on Facebook and Google and they start trashing us. And by the way, as a result of that, I actually learned something new about myself. So I guess sometimes this social media stuff can be very informative. So in the process of really trashing our school, they also targeted me specifically, and um, revealed a very important piece of information, and that is that I have a cult-like God complex. So I just want to issue that warning to you. I have a cult-like... So you guys actually are part of a cult. Did you know that? So uh, Dave, would you get out the Kool-Aid, please? (laughs) By the way, we will be relocating the church to Guyana, so uh, pack your bags. I try very hard to be as real and down-to-earth and honest as possible. I've admitted many times I'm a vile, wretched sinner saved by grace, so I'm not sure where the cult-like God complex comes in, but that's the kind of stuff you get on social media these days. Thank you. Love you, too. Again, whether we literally kill our brother or sister or verbally destroy them, we're following the way of Cain, who belonged to the evil one. Today, everyone, that think, everyone thinks they're God. Did you know that? Because they believe they have the power to destroy anyone they choose to destroy. They have the right to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And by the way, devil thought he was God. He wanted to be God. He wanted to usurp the throne of God and become God. And there are many today who believe they are. And they have the power and the right to steal, kill, and destroy. Why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Hello. Wow. There's so much in there. Why did Cain kill Abel? Because his works were evil. But in today's social justice warrior Antifa leftist mentality, the very fact that you are righteous means you deserve to die. You should be dead. You're a blot on society. You're a black mark. You don't believe in letting women kill their babies. You don't believe in same-sex marriage. You're the problem. You need to be eradicated 
And then I'm just using that. I mean, it's right out of the Bible, folks. We're living it. We're seeing it today. Why did Cain slay Abel? Because Cain's works were evil and his brothers were righteous. We can't have no righteousness around ya. We can't have none of that. Nobody got, ain't nobody got time for that. You remember that lady? <laughs> oh boy, there's a good video on that one. Oh Lord Jesus, it's afar. Remember that? Ain't nobody got time for that. We ain't got time for no righteousness around here. We got to destroy everything. Don't you get it? Whew. You see, here's the deal. And boy, you're watching it. You're witnessing it every day right before your very eyes. Those whose hearts are evil, again, none of us are perfect. It's only by the grace of God He washes me and cleanses me daily with the blood of Christ. But those whose hearts are evil are exposed by the righteous deeds of those hearts whose hearts are towards God. You see? That's why they have to go after us. Because our righteous deeds expose their evil. We can't have none of that righteousness around here. So whether it's verbal or physical, the flesh lashes out to silence the voice of the righteousness. Do we understand that? Sure helps understand what's going on in our world today, doesn't it? Love, agape love, it's not a feeling, it's a commitment. A commitment to put the other person before yourself. Romans 12.10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. It's the opposite of what the world teaches. What about my needs? I need my safe space. I need my hot chocolate. I need my Play-Doh. I need you to not exist anymore because you bother me. Proverbs, here it is. I read this about three weeks ago. 6, 16 through 18. These six things the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. Proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. I don't think we need to go there again. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift and running to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. A false witness that speaks lies and one who sows discord among brethren. And yet that seems to be part and parcel of the day and age in which we're living. Matthew 15, 17. Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? Big deal for the Jewish people, of course, then and now. And Jesus' Jesus' disciples were criticized because they didn't do the ceremonial washing of the hands before they'd eat a meal. They weren't totally kosher. And the Pharisees criticized them for this. Jesus says, you guys, you're all worried about these nitpicky, man-made parts of the law. Whatever enters his mouth goes into the stomach, it's eliminated. It's going to go out the other way. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. And they defile a man. Did you know something can come out of you and yet defile you? For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. You know what? Maybe we can't have none of that righteousness around here, but there's a whole lot of defilement going on. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man, spiritually. You might get some germs, 
but it's not going to defile you spiritually. He accused the Pharisees of straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Again, this is talking about lifestyle. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. But when you confess your sins, when you repent, when you've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, you're forgiven. You have an advocate before the Father, a defense attorney. Lord, I know he's not perfect, but he's mine. The wicked, those who continue, just as we're to practice righteousness, there are those who practice wickedness. Why are some people so wicked? They've been practicing a lot. Get it? They could turn. They could change. They could be born again. They could be set free. They could be forgiven. They could practice righteousness, but they choose to practice wickedness. The wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do you not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards. And this is actually the word I wanted to get to right here. Nor slanderers. Speaking falsely about someone. Destroying their reputation. Killing them with your mouth. Taking away their livelihood. Taking away their family. Oh, a man, for example, I knew many years ago, got falsely accused of a sexual impropriety with a girl. Lost everything. He was a lawyer. Lost his law practice. Lost his family. Everybody left him. And he wasn't even guilty. But you can do it. You can destroy them. Slanderers don't inherit the kingdom of God. Boy, we all ought to learn to keep our mouths shut, don't you think? God says we're going to be held accountable for every idle word. That's heavy duty. Verse 13, do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. What? I thought they loved Jesus' people. Brother loves traveling salvation show. Pack, Pack up your babies and grab the old ladies and everyone goes. Neil Diamond. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. If you're walking with God in such a way as to love your brother as yourself, you will most likely be hated by the world. John 15, 18, Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it's hated me before it hated you. And that actually, you know, you're a true child of God. If the world hates you, if they love you, maybe not. Maybe not, probably not. Nobody likes to be hated but I'd rather be hated by the world and be loved by God. How about you? Part of the price we must be willing to pay in order to follow God, Romans 12, 10 again, be kind, kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. Part of the price we must be willing to pay in order to follow God is the price of being hated by the world. And I would suspect that's why the church is not having a greater impact in the world today. Because everybody's too focused on being liked. Verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not abides in death. Passed out of death into life. That means converted, born again, saved, renewed. 
Or you could put it like this. We know we're going to live forever because we love the brethren. We can know. We should know. Jesus didn't die on the cross so we could think that we might be saved. Hopefully, gee, I hope I get to go to heaven. A lot of religious groups, a lot of different faith practices keep everybody in doubt. Jehovah's Witnesses, well, there's only going to be 144,000. Man, you've got to work your tail off. Catholic Church, they have purgatory, and you've got to get prayed out of purgatory. Forget that noise. My Jesus died on the cross so I could know that I know that I know that I'm saved, born again, and going to heaven. No undue disrespect towards the Catholic Church, but purgatory not in the Bible. And if you've been saved, born again, you don't have to be prayed out of anywhere. Jesus told the thief on the cross, this day you'll be with me in paradise. We know that we've passed from out of death into life because we love the brethren. Agapao, it's the verb form of the noun agape. Now, non-believers can and do love those close to them. And again, as I pointed out earlier, sometimes, sadly, it would seem with a greater degree of selflessness than some believers. But the kind of self-denying, sacrificial, unconditional love associated with the fruit of the Spirit can only be demonstrated by those who have been born again. Unfortunately, this agapao is not displayed nearly as often or as to a greater degree as it should be amongst the children of God. Then he goes on. I told you John was getting into the deep water here. He does, does not love, abides in death, or is lost in sin, not saved, headed for the other place. Now, again, God is gracious. God is merciful. God is loving. God is forgiving. God is kind. All believers are at a different place in their spiritual development or Christian maturity. But the person who is consistently, consistently, unloving, hateful, vengeful, verbally or physically abusive, according to the Bible, not according to me, even though I do have a cult-like God complex. I don't claim to have been the one who divinely inspired this book. God did, the real God. According to God, that person who is consistently unloving, hateful, vengeful, verbally and physically abusive remains in death. As uncomfortable and unpopular as it might be to say it, I believe that God has given us clear-cut guidelines in His Word in order that we might determine the true spiritual state of ourselves first. Take the log out of your own eye before you try to remove the splinter from your brother. He wants us to be able to determine the true spiritual state of our own hearts, but also of those around us. It makes no sense at all that God would leave us to doubt and question our own salvation or the salvation of those around us. So I would say, in closing, one, at best, the, quote, Christian who is unloving, hateful, vengeful, slanderous, at best, that person is very spiritually immature and needs help, needs guidance, needs to come under the power of God, to confess that sin, to repent, to ask God to cleanse them and fill them with His Holy Spirit. 
and cause the fruit of the Spirit to come forth in their life. The question is, is that person willing to get the help they need? Or are they content to continue on being unloving and hateful and vengeful and slanderous? At worst, that person's still in death and desperately needs salvation. And although I'd love to continue, we need to stop there for today. It's, we can't always end on a positive, upbeat note, now can we? Let's stand. Father, rather than being offended by this passage of Scripture, John's speaking pretty strongly here about the evidence of a true child of God and a true child of the devil. Lord, we are thankful. Your word is like a mirror. It's a lamp. It's a light. It, you shine it in the darkened corners of our hearts and minds so that you, you love us too much to let us be deceived, to be self-deceived, to, to, to walk in darkness rather than in the light. John told us at the beginning of this epistle, if we walk in the light as he, Jesus, is in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse us from every sin and we will have fellowship with one another. Lord, help us to walk in the light. And Father, help us to shun pride, arrogance, selfishness. Lord, help us to be humble and broken before you, to be willing to admit our sinfulness, to confess our sins, to make a determination that with your help, with the, with the truth of your word and the power of the Holy Spirit, that we will practice righteousness and we will love one another, not in our own strength, but in the power of your might. Lord, we know the source of agape love is you. We can't come up with it on our own. We can come up with some eros, we can come up with some phileo, but we can't come up with agape on our own. It has to come from you. So we pray this morning, Lord, you would once again cleanse us, wash us, renew us, renew a right spirit within us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and cause that fruit of the Spirit, that agape, to come forth in our lives. Lord, help us to be different, different than the world, different than we were before, new creatures in Christ. That's who you said we are. Help us to live up to that. We can only do it with your strength. And we pray for anyone here today, Lord, desiring ministry, prayer, anyone who needs to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, anyone who needs to recommit their life, Anyone who needs to come and ask for the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, healing, whatever it might be, Lord, we pray that there would be a flood today at this altar to your honor, to your glory, for the benefit and blessing of those who choose to come for prayer. Pour out your Holy Spirit now, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.